0: One of the greatest privileges I have is to get a chance to be in different churches with different ministries and different leaders and pastors and ministries around the country. Um, all Not every weekend, but almost every weekend. It's not a vacation weekend. And one of the greatest joys I've had is to get to know your leadership and the servant leadership that God's brought here and meeting and co-laboring with Carol so closely with the conference. And then the special times I've had with your senior pastor, George, hearing his heart and understanding what he brings to the Lord's ministry here. And I'm thankful for uh, the honor and privilege and humbled by the opportunity to be here with you where uh, men who have devoted hours and weeks and lifetimes studying the Word have come and brought the Word to you, and I get a chance to uh, bring a message this morning. I'd like to open up to our text in Matthew 28:19, And this is our text for this morning. How we might impact one person for Jesus Christ. How we might change the world through impacting one person through Jesus Christ. Matthew 28:19 goes very nicely with that five by five uh, operation you're involved with. Praying for five people for five minutes a day in your sphere of influence. Because what you want to do is matthew twenty eight nineteen and that's a verse that's been taught on and preached and lived right here in this community and spoken from this pulpit I know let's look at matthew twenty eight nineteen and read with me go therefore and make church members is that what that says go therefore and bring people to a building well go therefore and give money go therefore and take care of the widows go therefore and And study, there are lots of things God could have said. But what the Lord said was one thing that encompasses all of the things that go on in this blessed place and as you go into your community that you're a part of. Go therefore into all the world and what? Make disciples. Of who? Of all nations. Of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, make disciples. Well, why is it that so few people Are actually involved in disciple-making? Are we content with where we see our country going? Are we content with the state of the family? Are we content with the state of our educational processes, our young people? Well, much needs to be done. What would happen if every man and woman sought to be used by God to make a disciple? Notice it doesn't say, go therefore and watch me make disciples. Now God's sovereign. We know. We know who does the work. He's sovereign. He's omnipotent. He does the work. But somehow, some reason, he's called us to be an integral part of that. And sometimes I think he's guilty of negligent entrustment. Well, forgive me, Father, for criticizing your plan. He's planned to use us. And so what are we doing as a part of the plan? I think sometimes we don't make disciples because we're not really believing that. A change life that one person could really make a difference after all i'm just and i'm only and i can't and i haven't had enough bible training and so forth and what would happen if we really believed that god could use one trained person what happens when you have trained men and trained women well let's take a look at one of my favorite verses on training and uh, this is my one of my favorite number verses now you have some favorite numbers in the scripture. I know you do. Scream out one of your favorite biblical numbers 412, 316, 7, 12, 3, haha, and 1. 1! All for 1. And how about 318? I mean, doesn't that just burn fire in your bones, 318? I bet there's a car out in the parking lot that has a license plate, 318, right there. One of you probably moved to Minneapolis and stayed in an apartment until you could find a cul-de-sac with a house at, you know, 318, dead Beaver Drive. So you could just live at 318 because that that's what happens to me. I mean, 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, as I was reading through the Scriptures, I came to that number. And I've never been the same. And let's take a look with me, would you? To Genesis 14:14, 14, 14, where we see this incredible number. We see this incredible number. Read with me. When Abram heard that his relatives had been taken captive, who is that? Well, that's Lot and the crowd. They'd been taken captive by the five kings of the north that attacked the south. And he let out his recruits. He let out his members. He let out his friends. No. He let out his trained men. Born in this house. How many? 318. Oh, God, would you make me a man who you could use, change me, break me, humble me, that I could be used by you to impact 318 men for you in my lifetime. That's what I began to pray 20 years ago. And he went out and pursued. And these trained men brought back the mission, and those precious people without losing one person. Isn't that what we would want for our families? Isn't that what our pastors want to train up and what? Send. Send. And that's what they're doing here with you, and that's what you're doing. But how about a check on that? How well are we doing that? You see, I got mixed up with some people who trained me. My father trained me. He trained me that big boys don't cry. He trained me that after committing adultery with my mother or on my mother with another person, you never have to say you're sorry. There was a movie that said love means never having to say you're sorry. That, ladies and gentlemen, was a lie. Time heals, I learned. That's not true. That pain, that breach of trust, rifled our family. And when I went skiing... My dad said, you can trust me, we'll go skiing. And I didn't want to trust him. He said, bring a friend. And so I brought Charlie. I said, Dad, I don't want any problems. I was about 10 years old, 11 years old. And we took Charlie. And Susie, I mean, my my sister Bonnie, took Karen. And we're there, and there was alcohol and pain and words. And then my dad started to leave, and I just, you can't leave. You promised. And so I'm holding on to his pant leg. As he's going down the snow-packed trail there in Colorado, he's shaking me off his leg. Now, he did not kick me. He didn't mean to hurt me. That was not, he wanted to get away. He was running from the pain and the sin of his life, from the guilt and the hurt and the fear. And he, everywhere he ran, he took it with him. Can you identify with that? Isn't that what we do? We take it with us, and then we spread it to all those that care about us. And I hated my dad. I hated my dad. I flunked out of the college he was student body president of, Ohio University. And what do you think I did? I'm 19 years old. I hate to be told what to do. I don't like to get up early in the morning and I don't like regimentation. So what do you think I did? I joined the United States Marine Corps. (laughs) Is that a stupid thing to do? Have you ever done something that stupid? I mean, that was really a knucklehead thing to do. And there I am in San Diego, standing on those yellow footprints with a shaved head, with this maniac just screaming at me. I'm thinking to myself, I just want to go home. Well, I went home, not right away. They had an all-expense-paid trip for me to... Go to South Vietnam as an infantry machine gunner with the United States Marine Corps in 1967 and 68. And it was horrible. We were on these choppers one time on November 7th going out, swooping down, hit the deck, and began assaulting the enemy positions for a surprise attack. They opened up on us. And over 25% of us, as we charged those positions, were killed or wounded. We were pinned down. We held our ground. And I stayed alive over there for a number of reasons. One reason was I had a man who trained me. And I had trainers in the Marine Corps, boot camp and machine gun school, infantry training. But I had a man who trained me. And he was the best machine gunner in my outfit. I remember when I went to that hooch and went to that uh, first time I was on my turf where my company was. And they said, Downer, okay, Downer, come here. You're Crosley. Go. Crosley, you're the new gunner. Now, there are four men in the machine gun team. He was the gunner. I was his A-gunner. My job was to keep him alive and feed that machine gun in combat. Here, he's your. Crosley here he comes down. And I look in the back of the room. And here is this guy, Hulk of a man, shaved head, African-American, with a Fu Manchu mustache, covered with diesel fuel, cleaning the machine gun. And I walked back there. I felt like calling home. Mom, I'm in trouble. This guy's going to eat me. I walked back there and got to know this guy, and we were so different. He was from Detroit, African-American. My family, I was a white kid from Colorado and then later on New York. My father was in business. He was an executive with an aerospace company. Ralph's father was in business. He sold stolen property out of a house in Detroit. Both trying to make a buck. A little different. Ralph didn't know anything about white people. I don't know about black people. I mean Bill Cosby was on TV. But I know about black people. And here we are thrown together in a war, and the one thing we wanted to know about each other, what is the one thing that I wanted to know about him? Is would he leave me? Would he leave me in combat or would he stand with me? That's what he wanted to know about me. And we found that out one day, in a few weeks we're on the side of the mountain, going up the side of the mountain. is a burned out area. The enemy, whoo, whoo, it only happened about three times. We saw them first. And we have superior position, firepower, and the element of what? Surprise. Woo! Ralph, run machine gun. We're feeding him. He's knocking him down, and the machine gun jams. Now, we're standing up on the side of a hill. Weapon fires come in like this. Bullets all around us. And that's when we found out what we're made of. Now, some of you have never, would never want to be, and will never be in combat. But I want to ask you. I stood with Ralph, a man who was very different. Have you been willing to stand with your wife through the hard stuff? Or have you blamed, criticized, and left? Have you been willing to stick with your kids and your daughter-in-law? Who's very different from you and doesn't like your China and doesn't celebrate Christmas the way you do. Have you stuck with her? You see, Ralph stuck with me. And we fired, we cleared that machine gun and got that thing rolling in a couple of minutes and didn't lose a man. Because we stood together. See, you can run, you can hide, you can criticize, you can freeze up, you can do something non or, or recklessly. Or you can do what you're supposed to do. I came home from Vietnam, survived that, married the girl of my dreams. I met Susie at SMU and she was perfect. Oh, at the church in St. Louis in front of Ralph as my best man and all the people close to me, I committed to stand for that girl and to walk with that girl and to love that girl and the pastor read nice things out of the scripture and it was a wonderful day. And we went to law school together, graduated from Emory Law School together as a married couple. We were married in college, graduated from college, went to Emory Law School, sat side by side, joined a church. And we're kind of an up-and-coming couple in the church. And they gave us stuff to do. And I'm not picking on anybody, but, you know, um, they they put me in charge of teaching their Sunday school. Uh, they elected me as a governing one well, of the governing body members of that church. And... Uh, they didn't know me. They just had places for me to fit and serve. And they care. They, They're they wonderful people. They were kind of like me, doing the best they could. Uh, going out, hearing nice things on Saturday and Sunday or Sunday, and going out and doing what they could do on the rest of the week. And uh, You might have called me a hypocrite. I wasn't a hypocrite. I was operating precisely within what I understood to be true. I didn't have a 5 by 5 in my life. I didn't have somebody coming alongside and sitting down and talking to me about Jesus Christ. Oh, they preached it and said it things. And so there we are. And we had a, a wonderful home. We're both practicing law. We had money, had a credit card, and and our marriage was <laughs> our our marriage our marriage was a disaster. All that pain and hurt I carried around, I took out on my wife. I loved her. I just couldn't get along with her. Now, I know you missed the marriage conference, but I'm going to summarize the whole conference in one sentence. Write this down. You'll need this. See, so you save yourself going to that long conference. Write this down. You'll need to know this information. Write this down. After two months of marriage, I figured out that women are different. <clears throat> now, if you write that down, that's going to save you a lot of trouble. Men are different than women. You can't read our minds. You can't read each other's minds. You can't, you know, you can't read each other's minds. And so that's what happened. People are different. People are different. You know, we have a dear brother in trouble back here, and I don't know all that's going on right here. We have a a dear brother being carried out. Could we just stop a minute? Could I just pray a minute for that brother? Lord, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for eternity. And now we ask You, Lord, that You would uh, help this brother. And I don't even know. I think this was a man. Would You help and minister? Give the people helping him. Wisdom. Uh, And Lord, would you uh, uh, take care of this matter? And and, uh, if there's a health issue, would you heal it? Superintend this situation, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we know you. And if we know you, we're going to be home for eternity. And so if this is serious, it may be just a part of eternity for this man. If this man doesn't know you, I pray he knows you, Lord. And Lord, could we all remember that life is short could we make every benefit of every moment of this day? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our marriage was a disaster. And you know, I remember those times in Vietnam, I, uh, uh, it would never have occurred to me to hurt Ralph. I mean, you know, Ralph and I worked as a team. And so often, uh, we'd be firing a machine gun. Firing a machine gun, Ralph would say, Downer, over here! And I'd pick up the machine. You think I ever said, Ralph... I don't like the tone of voice you used. You know, you think I ever said that to Ralph? And besides, Ralph, why don't you clean this place up? This is a rat nest. You don't clean this place up. Can't you straighten this place up? And besides, Ralph, you're late. And besides, Ralph, can't you see I'm busy? Do you think I ever said that to Ralph? I said to my wife. You see, Ralph and I were different, but we decided that we would live and die together. And we worked together as a team. We were very different. We're still very different. My wife and I are very different. you think I ever went over to Ralph Crosley and locked and loaded my 45 automatic, my sidearm, and pumped his chest full of lead? you think I ever did that to Ralph Crosley? Never. Never thought of it. But see, I did that to my wife. I locked and loaded this automatic weapon. And I riddled her heart with the lead of my cold anger and pain. I loved her. I criticized her. I asked her for forgiveness and hurt her again and again. And I committed adultery and I ruined our marriage. I loved her. I was just so full of hurt. I was running and I took it with me. And some people reached out to me. A man named Jim Lyon reached out to me and introduced me to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I came to oh, know forgiveness and someplace to put that guilt and hurt. And I went to my wife and I said, I, I want to forgive you. I mean, I want you to forgive me. Would you forgive me? The problem was I had destroyed our marriage, lock, stock, and barrel. That poor, precious girl, innocent, sweet, marrying me. We went to law school together. We sat side by side all the way through Emory Law School, but she took an extra course, domestic relations. To learn how to sue me for divorce. But we were being discipled. And that man I was meeting with one hour a week said, Phil, you're destroying your wife's heart. Let's look at the scripture: of what love is. That love is patient and kind and gentle and not arrogant. And he went through it. Phil, you say you're a Christian. Are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you exuding love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithlessness, and self-control? Or... Are you just a Christian walking in the flesh? That's a good question for us this morning. Are we just a Christian walking in the flesh? And many times, I to before I even left the restaurant, I had to call my wife to apologize. I've had to apologize. And, you know, she saw me change. She was not a believer. But she saw me change. And she said, if God can change, fill down or God can do anything. So she came to know Christ too. But the marriage was broken. It was over, folks. And we would have been divorced. And the buildings were full of divorced Christians. They just couldn't put it back together again. we couldn't have put it back together again. But for the Lord and one like you. That man was discipling me. Susie had a woman discipling her. And they coached us. They stuck with us. They loved us. And they trained us. And that woman suggested maybe God could mend our marriage. And so Susie began to pray, God, would you give me new love for Phil? And that's what God did all over again. Those people reached us for Jesus Christ and they trained us. And they built soldiers. That was their mission. Let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 at another missing ingredient of discipleship. I talked about trained men, if we had trained men and women. A missing ingredient. Let's read a second. Thessalonians verses two, seven, and eight. Let's just read these both together. Uh, But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother. This is where Paul was talking about how they impacted a whole city of people. He called himself a nursing mother. Are you kidding me? The great apostle, that must be wrong. I'm sorry. Can I borrow borrow your, your scripture? I must be wrong. Oh, they got it wrong up there. The great apostle. Describing himself as a mother and another version, a nursing mother? Are you kidding me? Nobody wants to be a nursing mother today, even nursing mothers. That's the hardest job. We delegate that to somebody else. I mean, that's a hard job. And you've been around a nursing mother on you know aisle fourteen at Walmart, you know, she has got the baby, she's going down aisle fourteen, that little baby, and that baby blows the diaper out with green stuff all the way to the tennis shoe. You know, you've been there, you've been there, and what's that nursing mother do? Well, she picks up something heavy. She smacks that kid and says, Don't you ever embarrass me like that and stink up aisle 14 at Walmart like that. Is that what she does? No. No, what she does. She does something like this. She says, Oh, Lord, thank you for this little baby. Thank you. I prayed for this little baby. And I asked you, Lord, for a little baby that should bring me to have all his or her working parts. And now the parts are working. Thank you. And then what does she do? She cleans up the mess. Ladies and gentlemen, what I had, a stubborn, arrogant, born-again, blood-washed mess of a man, steeped in my old ruts of flesh. I had a man who helped me clean up my mess. He sat with me and cared about me and loved me and listened to me and guided me toward the truth. Never justifying my sin, pointing to the truth, but loving me through the pain of my sin. If we would become nursing mothers, we would have people lined up at our door asking for help with their messes. And I know that's what you're doing right here. That's your mission to care for the world. And I had that. Another aspect to this is the next verse says another missing ingredient of discipleship. We need to be nursing mothers. Uh, verse eight. thus having a fond affection for you. We're well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but another mistake. Look at that. I mean, that, that can't be right. Because that's like saying we not only had bacon and eggs for breakfast, but we had toast. Like toast is better than eggs. I mean, we only had the gospel of God, but something else could be compared to, or even in that sense, sounds like it's even more emphasized than the gospel. What could be more emphasized than the gospel? Just preach the gospel. No, it says... Now, they, they shared not only the gospel of God, but what? Our very lives. How would you do that? Well, you give time and money and effort and so forth. But there's another ingredient to sharing your very life. And that ingredient is being willing to share the hard stuff. See, Jim shared when he failed. He shared when he had an argument with his wife. He shared the hard stuff. And and I started to do that with, with friends. And I... I started to reach out to guys. There's a guy in my Sunday school class. See, people right here that need you men. Right here that they need, they need you men. There's a man in my church, uh, and it was a big church. a big, a big Sunday school class. And, it was, it was just, and I had a chance to share with him. And there was one guy named Charlie who was doing what I used to do uh, with his charm. He was charming girls in their weaknesses and his weaknesses out of things that they should hold precious. And I just wanted to bring them. his neck. Oh, I just wanted to wring his neck. He needed a good... Because that's what I used to do, and it was sin. He was hurting those young girls. And we're picking up the pieces in that Sunday school class. But instead of wringing his neck, what I did is what Jim did. I met with him for breakfast and asked him how he was doing. Spent time with him. Built a relationship so I could guide him toward this book. So Jesus Christ could wring his neck. No. <laughs> so Jesus could become his Lord and Savior. And he would recognize that Christ died for his sins, to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and let Jesus Christ clean up that mess. Now, Charlie would say, I was his spiritual father, that I helped clean up the mess, that I was his nursing mother. That's what he would say. And I did. I showed up. But God did it. Spent time with him. And you see, there are other people I started to reach out to. We started to have children. Our kids need See, we delegate the hard stuff. we got the best schools. we got the best home schools, Christian schools, biblical schools, private schools, the best public schools. we got all kinds of church buildings and teams and coaches and, and instructors and tutors. we got everything but parents. See, our kids need us. And so what I decided to do is, look, I'm not that smart, but if Jim Lyon could change my life in an hour a week, maybe my kids could use that. So for an hour a week, every day of their every week of their lives since they were born, I've got six of them. I travel a lot. I spend time with them in discipleship. I missed a few weeks, but not very many. Well, you couldn't do that. You've got six of them. How could you? Well, some Saturdays it was, you know, get up with the Lord six, one at eight, ten, twelve, all the way through, then a date with my wife. My gutters rotted probably. The leaves didn't look great. My, my yard never, never, never got the award. I look out there and say, well, we're raising kids, not grass. But I've got colleges that have paid my kids to go there. We've had ministries that have paid our kids to, got our kids to get, anyway. Go, you, know, you want to make disciples. You want to make disciples. And one thing I did is on a date. Well, what do you do with a kid on a date? Well, I took Suzanne on a date for years and didn't get very deep. It was always kind of superficial until that day that God really showed up. And I, I was out with her, and she was about eight years old, and we'd had a cat. And uh, we, we we've had a lot of cats. Um and, and one thing common about cats is they die and there's always pain. And I just want to get rid of no them. more cats! You know, we've got the Holocaust Museum in the backyard with these, you know, all these burials back there. It's horrible. It's horrible. One of them got poisoned. One of them got leukemia. I didn't know cats could get leukemia. Guess who didn't get the shots for the cat because he was too cheap who got leukemia? Huh. Painful. Well, Susanna lost her cat. With Susanna, was always kind of superficial. How are you doing? Fine, Dad. Everything's great. Now, my other kids were easier on the dates because they were involved in fist fights with their brothers and sisters. And, and so there's always lots to talk about. You know, how are you doing? Well, I'm struggling with anger. Well, I've had that problem, too. Let's take a look at the Scripture on anger. You see, it's a fool that hangs out with a man of anger and would talk about those things. But with Susanna, she was just so sweet. And uh, this verse, to share your life. How do you share your life with someone? I learned that uh, Jim shared the hard things about his life and got to a hard place of hard things with other people. The real stuff, not the superficial, did your team win? And so we're on this date, and I said, Susanna, how are you doing? Well, fine. And she said, I said, well, anything hard this week? Anything hurt? Any problems? I'm just fishing. You know, I don't know. Fishing for men. Fishing for my daughter. How are you doing? And she said, well, I'm kind of hurting over my kitty. Kitty. Oh, kitty, yeah. Died Tuesday. I mean, I gave that cat 26 seconds of grief. I mean, that's all they get, Right. I mean, 26 seconds, a full 26. I mean, oh, can. Now, what do men want to do with pain? Move away from it. Oh, let's go watch the game. You know, what are you doing? To, you know, school or something. Okay, but no, move toward the pain. what did Jesus do in John 11 with Martha and Mary and Lazarus? He moved toward the pain to get deep in those lives. And I said, well, tell me, uh, what, uh, what was it like? And she said, what well, really hurts? She's starting to cry. I hate tears. I don't want to cry. Don't take me there. I don't want to cry. I'm not going to cry. Let's see who's got the game this afternoon, you know. But she started to cry. And here's a girl that has five sisters and brothers that love her. Godly parents that love her. Church and pastor. All these people love her friends. And she's crying over a stupid cat. Listen, if you want to convince someone that you care about them, care about what they care about. See, what we do is we say, I care about you. Then we criticize people's families, their cats, and their hobbies, and their point of view, their political parties and whatever. If you want to convince someone you care about them, then Jesus, we do care about what they care about. And I said, well, tell me about your cat. Well, it really hurts. Well, when does it hurt? Well, in the mornings. Because... And I said, well, why does it hurt? Well, that little kitty would put her arms around me and just hug me like a little baby. And uh, it just felt so warm to feel that baby's heartbeat, or that that cat's heartbeat on my chest. And and I just felt cared for. And I'm thinking, wow, wow. I think maybe God's making a mom there. I think this might be a real important moment that God's brought me to. I said, Well, I'm sorry, honey. You know, I was the one that didn't get the shots for your kitty for leukemia. And she said, Daddy, I forgive you. That's not, we understand. And I said, well, I wanted somebody else to find the cat. Because when you found that carcass of that cat, I know it must have been so hard to carry that kitty in. And, and the life was gone. And she said, Daddy, it was terrible. She said, Daddy, is my kitty going to be in heaven? Now, what do we do when a kid asks a question like that? We say, I don't know, ask the pastor, right? <laughs> Gentlemen, we are, we are the pastor of our house. We're the leader of our home. Ladies, there doesn't come a more godly Focused woman on earth for your children than you. K. Arthur can't do what you can do in that home. And so there we are. And I said, uh, oh, honey, you know, you know when you hug that... Oh, and there's no soul when I explained biblically. And first of all, I said, yes! A spiritual question in emotion from my kid. That's what I've been waiting for for four years on a date. And so I started to talk to her about the Scripture in heaven and hell. And she'd made a profession of faith. But I think it became a little clearer to her there, perhaps. And then I said this, and God really showed up. I said, God, you don't want me to do... Oh, yeah, God, I think you do want me to do that. I said, honey, you know when you hug the carcass of that kitty, you know how that felt? She said, yes, Daddy. And I said, well, one day I hugged a rubber turkey. It was cold. It was rubber-like. And I kissed a rubber turkey, which is how my father's face felt the last time I kissed my daddy's face before we buried him in Dallas, Texas after he committed suicide on my birthday. And I think you know the issues involved in that story. I've shared that with you before. Now she's crying I'm crying. And I said, you see, my daddy had a soul, but he never came to know Jesus Christ as far as I know. He denied Christ to me and so, your kitty's not going to be in heaven without a soul, and my dad's not going to be in heaven because his soul was not redeemed. And we're now we're crying, and she's hugging on me. What are we learning there? What are we experiencing? She's experiencing nurturing a man. She's experiencing a man who could properly express hurt as opposed to anger and competition the way I've experienced it so many times, the way I've expressed it so many times. She was learning to nurture. I was learning, again, how I can be vulnerable and weep and have someone nurture me. And that's not weakness. That is being human and having a heart like Jesus. That's what Jesus did as He wept. He asked His disciples to stay awake. They let Him down. That's discipleship. And now we talk and we're deeper than ever. And I just wonder about you. You know, uh, where are you? I was on a retreat one time, and do we really believe that trained men would make a difference? I was on a retreat one time, and I'm talking to a bunch of guys, and these guys were, uh, well, they were all young young guns, you know, really in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, discipling guys. And I'm going to ask for some volunteers here in just a minute, uh, just to stand up. And, uh, And and what I did is I walked over the first guy and I said, tell me, you know, I knew him. His name was Rob. And I said, Rob, how did you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And he said, oh, well, the guy sitting right next to me, Tyler, introduced me to Jesus Christ. I said, you're kidding. Carol, would you just stand up? So that'd be like Rob. I said, Rob, how did you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And he said, well... Uh, Tyler, introduced me to the Lord. Would you stand up, sir? Okay, you're like Tyler. You're now Tyler. And I said, Tyler, this is your spiritual son. He said, I know it's the greatest joy on earth for me to see this man come to Jesus and to, and to disciple him. And he's my spiritual son. But Phil, you don't know half of it. Because Rob reached Stan. Would you stand up, sir? Now, Stan was a despicable man. <laughs> he He was involved in every manner of sin. But Rob was his consultant in business, and Rob cared, and this guy trusted Rob because he helped him in his business, and then he led this guy, Stan, to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And they and said, so that's not half of it. After Rob, after Rob and Stan, Stan reached uh, Dave, and Dave came to know Christ, and Dave reached John. And I said, I was overwhelmed, and here's his whole family. And I said, that is 2 Timothy 2-2. Second, Timothy two 2. you know, that great verse where Paul says the things you've heard from me. Now, wait a minute. That's Paul and me to Timothy. That's two generations in the presence of many witnesses. That's three generations and entrust these things, things to reliable men who will also be able to teach others. Also, there are four generations there. I said right there. One, two, three, four. There are five generations, and see that's spiritual reproduction. That's when you make disciples, and they go on to reproduce their life. It works when you're asleep. Because somebody in Kansas City is doing something, and I was just knocked over. I said, "That's amazing. Tell me." I said, "Tyler, tell me. How did you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ?" And he said, well, I was in Atlanta, Georgia one time, and I learned to be a salesman, the best salesman in the place, didn't womanize, didn't drink, was a great salesman, and he invested in me, in my business. Now, that's important, guys, women. He invested in me. You see, he helped me with his problems. That's what he did. He helped Tyler with his problems. And then that guy introduced me to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I said, that's amazing. What was his name? His name was Charlie. Charlie Thivak. From Atlanta, Georgia. First Baptist Church, Atlanta, Georgia. Would you stand up, sir? You're like Charlie. Would you stand up? And Charlie was the man. Ten years earlier, I'd led the Lord and discipled. And I started to weep. Why'd I weep? This was my family. And I started to weep. That's 2 Timothy 2. I didn't know these men. But Charlie knew Tyler and Tyler Rob. And Rob standing all the way down. I started to just cry. Overwhelming. And they said, Phil... You mean you led Charlie? We owe everything to Charlie. And I said, no, not Charlie. Jim Lyon. He reached me. Would you stand up, sir? Jim Lyon. Jim Lyon is the one. And thanks. But just stand up for just a second. Jim Lyon is the one. And I said, oh no, it's not Jim Lyon. You see, there was a woman who asked my wife to pray for a new marriage. That woman started this whole line of people. And that woman was named Leanne. Is there a woman on that side? Just stand up, ma'am, would you please? You're going to be my Leanne today. And let me tell you about Leanne. She is the one that started this whole train. Okay? She was meeting with my wife. Go ahead and have a seat. Have a seat. She was meeting with my wife. Now, who would meet with my wife? My wife was Phi Beta Kappa. She was first in everything. She was a lawyer for Delta Airlines, an officer of Delta Airlines. Never, never got in trouble. Never failed anything. She only had one mistake. Me. And she's going to divorce me. She didn't want your church. She didn't want your denomination. She didn't want your Bible. She went to a perfectly fine place on Sunday. She didn't want friends. Why would she meet with Leanne? And by the way, who was Leanne? Well, she was a kind of a K. Arthur of Atlanta. No. Well, she was Ruth Graham. No. Who was Leanne? She was a just and an only. You see, this place this morning is full of just and only. Well, I'm just a new Christian. I couldn't possibly... Reach out to somebody. Well, I've only been divorced a, a month. And how could I pop Leanne in the course of 12 months had come to Christ after her husband left her for another woman, broke her heart. She was divorced, came to Christ, had a nervous breakdown in that order was being discipled, met my wife was a Christian less than 12 months. She knew about five verses. Now, why would my wife meet with such a woman? Well, because she wanted a friend. My wife didn't need friends. Why would she meet? What was it about Leanne? Leanne had one thing I trust every person this church has. There was one thing my wife was interested in that Leanne had that you have. What is that? Peace. My wife couldn't understand the peace. That this woman had. See, your friends don't understand the peace you have going through that, your husband's bankruptcy. Going through your husband's cancer. Going through your wife's tragedy. Going through losing a son. Going through all the things that you've been through. They don't understand the peace. They don't want your church, your Bible. They want the peace. <laughs> and when you can introduce them to the peace, attract them by the peace, and introduce them to the Prince of Peace. My wife learned about the Prince of Peace because she met a woman with peace who is willing to simply sit down and try to answer her questions and pray for her and take her through a book that she had never read through once at that point in her life. That's discipleship. Leanne is our spiritual mother. Some people came to Christ over the weekend, reconfirmed their faith. That's her fruit. See, spiritual reproduction is unlike anything. And I just wonder about you this morning. Are you willing to ask God for one person? You may be a guy like Jim Lyons. Jim Lyon loved Jesus and hated I hated lawyers, you know? And I was a lawyer. be met with me. I was different. Leanne was in I guess, worldly church terms, ill-equipped, ill-trained. <laughs> Are you kidding me? She was perfect for Susie. So is there any reason why you couldn't reach out to one other person? Maybe your daughter-in-law, maybe your son. Maybe a, a little girl just lost a cat on Tuesday. Uh, maybe a neighbor, a friend. Would you be willing to ask God for one person? Would you be willing just in faith say, God, if you bring me one person, I'll meet with that person. I'll just do the best I can. You've got to do it. You'll do it. But I'll just meet with them. Maybe you're meeting with one and you want to continue to meet with that one. To have the energy and the strength to meet with that one. Uh, maybe you have more than that. Would you be willing to ask God a simple prayer? God, would you give me one person to meet with, and I'll do the best I can to disciple. If you'd be willing to ask God for one person, would you, would you just stand up where you are? If you'd be willing to ask God right now, would you just stand up where you are? Just stand up right now. If you'd be willing to ask God for one person, just ask God. <laughs> you know, when I walked in this place two days ago. I knew it was different. There's an army in here, and I, I just am thankful for all of you sitting down and standing up, all of you. And what I want to do right now is just, uh, let's just pray a prayer. I'm going to pray it out loud. You can pray it silently. I'll pray it slowly, just asking God for one person. Let me just pray. Bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for Jesus Christ. And Lord, I don't know, I don't feel like I know enough. I'm certainly not good enough. But you're perfect. Would you bring one person to me? And you'd have to do all the work, but I would show up. Lord, I'm asking for one person that you would bring to me. And if you brought this person to me, and I I knew it was the person that you wanted me to meet with, I would meet with them in discipleship. And simply do the best I could. And Lord, I ask you for help on this. Uh, You know my weaknesses. You know what I don't know. But in faith, I'm going to ask you for one person because it's impossible to please you without faith. And now, as I close this message, I just thank you so much, Lord, for everyone in this uh, building, those sitting, standing, kneeling, whatever. I thank you for every man and woman here. I thank you for the uh, incredible privilege it is to be with those that love you, want to pray for others, want to talk to others, and want to introduce others to the Lord Jesus Christ.